Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. It's me again, Alex Williams Smith by birth, but better known to some of you, certainly through the social media accounts, as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. Now, this week, this is one hell of a scoop. This gentleman doesn't very often do uh, purely hypnosis related interviews, although this isn't going to be purely hypnosis because there's other areas of interest this man has got that I would love to uh, discuss with him as well during the next 60 minutes. One of his biggest achievements, notably, is that he has the longest running hypno comedy hypnosis stage show residency in the world today at 32 years i don't know if this is year 33 we're going into he'll clarify that in a minute so please welcome to the show the legend that is the man himself mr ken webster how are you ken i'm all right thanks alex i'm not too bad you know getting through this uh doing nothing all day is doing me yeah good. there we go so look i'm gonna the first question i ask everyone and the last one is the same every week in between it's different because obviously your life's been different and your career's been different but the first one is there was a time when ken webster wasn't a hypnotist um what, what, what's your background how did you end up involved in this crazy industry oh well i suppose entertainment has run uh, in the webster family my granddad had a circus of performing pygmies um oh, back, right. in the, back in the early 1900s yeah um and basically i was a cinema projectionist for a few years um i saw a hypnotist when i was nine a guy called robert halpern possibly <laughs> one of the most respected hypnotists ever um i saw robert when i was nine and i thought you know that looks different and so basically, as I got older, I said I was a cinema projectionist, showing loads of films and stuff, saved up the money, started doing courses back in 1981 with Will Proudfoot, of all people, lovely man. Uh, and basically, that's how I got into it. I saw a hypnotist when I was nine and thought, that's what I want to do. Now, the thing is, Wilf did at the Proudfoot School of Hypnosis, as well as a chain of supermarkets, an interesting gentleman he was. Uh, I know that he had the rights to teach in England Gil Boyne's syllabus, so to speak, for hypnotherapy and stuff. And I know I know you studied that. And I believe I've been told by one or two people I met in the past that you also went back and you, you helped out as a facilitator on courses as well. I did, yeah. I helped Wilf teach rapid induction. Um, and Gil Boyne came over. Gil Boyne did a few uh, a few courses as well, as did Ormond McGill. Um, so you know, quite a lot of the American hypnotists came over, did did uh, courses with Will. But I did, oh, I did about four years of Will altogether, on and off. So would you, who would you say you actually learnt the stage side from? Because obviously Will mainly taught essentially therapy, but Gil and Ormond, two names you've just mentioned, obviously dealt with stage as well. I learned the stage side of it, to be honest, Alex, off myself. Um, right. 1986, I think it was, I went to Spain for two weeks holiday after doing four years with Wilf. Um, I went to Spain for three, two weeks holiday and I didn't come home for three years um, because I was in a bar one night and the guy said to me, well, in the bar, what do you do? Oh, I've, I've been training as, to be a hypnotist. Oh, can you do a show? I've no idea. Do you want to do <laughs> one tonight? So, yeah, all right. So... I pissed him out for a couple of hours and he sort of started there and one bar owner saw me do that show and another one saw me do another one so I ended up working seven nights a week out in Spain which was great training ground um, I mean I you know I've, I've seen Robert Halpern many times at the Opera House in Scarborough I've seen Andrew Newton many times at the Opera House in Scarborough very good friend of mine and Hugh Lennon very good friend of mine um, I saw Hugh, Andrew, Robert, and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's it. I looked at what other stage hypnotists were doing and thought, how can I twist that round to be my own persona, my own sketches, which which is what I did in, in Spain. Okay, now, we're, gonna go, we're obviously going to go back to hypnosis later because this is hypnosis week and the viewers are therapist or stage hypnotist or involved in some area of the hypnosis industry. Um, but there are you have net you have so many different strings to your bow, Ken. Now, people watching this, if you look underneath this video, wherever it is, whether it's the Vimeo video or the YouTube version or on social media, there will be various internet web links underneath this video. 
All of them are ultimately Ken's different websites for different things. Let me briefly run you through them. There's kenwebster.co.uk. That is where you will go to get his live show DVDs. And if you were putting on, say, a, a hypnosis conference and you could afford Ken's fee and you wanted a stage hypnotist at the, you know, the conference dinner, that would be the, 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 the one to go to. Redtickfilms.com, we're going to ask Ken about these different areas in a minute, is where Ken offers filming services um, to film events and shows, and also the shows on there that he's got the rights on that he sells the DVDs to, so have a look there. Some of them are comedy shows, uh, there's, there's punk rock music as well, if that's your bag. Um Perhaps of most use to the majority of people watching this will be carryonprinting.co.uk, certainly if you're in England. bit prohibitive maybe if you're overseas watching this for the shipping on stuff, but in England, definitely. If you want printing of any type, promotional items for your business, your show, your therapy practice, whatever, that's the one to be looking at. Um, and also, if you're a therapist, well, no, if, if you're a human being who wants to lose weight, full stop, uh, or you're a therapist who wants to look at what another therapist has put together, it might be worth you taking a look at Ken Webster's hypnoticgastricband.com, uh, where Ken sells uh, a USB with the four audio recordings that make up his gastric band approach um, and what have you. So they're the links. You can see them there. You can contact Ken through them and get all the stuff. But that does bring me to, to the obvious question. Wow, you've got various different businesses going on well what, 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 do you not like to have a rest sometimes <laughs> you missed out jukeboxdecals.com <laughs> that's the one that i've started since oh. i've been in isolation <laughs> all right well basically nobody really wants t-shirts and stuff printed at the moment um so a very very close friend of mine robin from the grumbleweeds he yeah. stores old jukeboxes and he's been on me, on at me, and on at me, and on at me for for a long, long time. But why don't you start printing decals for jukeboxes? The Wurlitzer are logos and and these little numbers that they stick on the carousels and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I'll get round to it, Rob. Well, two weeks of doing shuffle, I've managed to actually get round to it. So jukeboxdecals.com for anybody who is restoring jukeboxes. We sell all the decals and all the stickers for the glass, for the carousel numbers, for buttons, etc. Uh, we only started that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it, it's, it's a work in progress, is that one. Uh, but it's doing well. We're a lot cheaper than anybody else. You won't get them anywhere cheaper because a lot of people, a lot of these things are only available in America or only available um, from Germany. Right. These are from the UK. You get them the next day. But that's another string to the bow anyway. Um, Red Tick Films, basically, I've always been a punk at heart, always been a, a punk. I've always been into the old punk music, mm, for, well, since, since I was a kid. Um and I used to promote punk bands um, in Scarborough. Um, the first band that we did was the UK Subs. Um, and I said to Charlie Harper, the singer, look, you know, any chance of us uh, doing a DVD and selling it for you? Yeah, no problem, Ken. So we did the UK Subs. We did the Angelic Upstart, In For Riot. Uh, we filmed Public Image Limited, John Lydon, one of my heroes, where I managed to interview him as well. Um, so there's a lot of punk DVDs on there, but we also do, we've just done Mick Miller, uh, we've just done Mick Miller's DVD, uh, we've done a couple of um, DVDs for the Grumbleweeds, uh, for sadly Graham when he passed away, there was a couple of charity shows that we filmed for them, they're all available on Red Tick Films. Um, so that basically was, was how we sort of got into into the filming business, then we, we, asked, we were asked to do other acts as well, we did Andrew Newton's live DVD. Um, and acts were ringing us in, or oh, can you come and do? Can you do the promo and stuff? So that's really how Red Tick Film started. Did you find? Because I, I, I'm a believer. Unfortunately, it didn't come off. But a few years ago, when um, one of my students got let down at the last minute for filming, I got in contact with you, and you were going to sort out someone to, to film the show for him. But then he managed to bloody God knows what went on. It ended up out of my hands. But my logic, and I tried to tell him, was that to get someone like your good self, who either is doing the filming or at the very least is acting as a director, who already understands what is likely to happen in a stage hypnosis show, 
is a far better idea than just getting a normal film oh, yeah. to film your show. Yeah, absolutely, because I know what I'm looking for, you know. I, 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 I look at the people on the stage and think, right, he's going to react to that. Right, zoom in on his face. Oh, he's going to be doing that. Zoom in on her face. So, yeah, as a, as a, a director for directing hypno videos, yeah, I, I must admit, I know what I'm doing. Hence, if you're in England or you're going to be doing a show in England, or, well, I suppose if you were to pay Ken's travel as well and hotels on top of his fees that he might consider coming to you. But it would be, it would be, I suggest that someone who actually understands what you're going to be doing is going to get far better video footage for you than someone who could, they could end up missing that important shot, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So that's how Retic Films was born. Uh, is the agency. Uh, basically, uh, my wife and I, we had a pub in Scarborough, the Kelly Arms in Scarborough. Uh, we sold that as soon as we heard about the smoking ban, uh, mm. because I, like I said, there's no way a pub's going to survive with a smoking ban. We've got to sell and we've got to sell now, which we did do. Uh, and so Tara, my wife, she, she was a, a area manager for Weatherspoon, so she had a, a big pub background. And so when we'd sold the pub, she was sort of rattling around. She went to Daisy Chain Inns for a bit, and she wanted to start an entertainment agency. Um, so obviously, with the contacts that I've got, uh, we started Blockbookers. Um, we work very closely with uh, uh, Exposure Productions. Um, sort of, uh, we supply all the acts um, um, and crews for the Britannia hotels, etc. We're doing Fred Olsen cruises, the Saga cruises, and stuff. Um, so that was that was sort of how Blockbookers was born. Really, that's been going about. Oh, that's that's what I really enjoy doing. We had a weight loss clinic in Scarborough. Yeah. Um, and I, I sold that. That was doing really, really well. We're doing a hypnogastric band and 3D liposuction and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I had that for two years and I sold that. And then we were sort of saying, right, what else can we do? Uh, so, I know, let's print some T-shirts. Not a clue how to print everything. Oh, I was Googling around for some equipment. It was like, you can print your own T-shirts for £2,000. What a load of old bollocks. More like 42000 if you want to do it right. Uh, which is what we invested. Um, and we sort of said, well, let's get the customers first. So I spoke to a good friend of mine like Chubby Brown, Grumbleweeds, all sooty, all the people that are in the business and said, you know, can we take over your merchandise? Yeah, yeah, of course you can, Ken. Right, brilliant. I'll buy the equipment and learn how to use it. And that started <laughs> up really as a hobby. It was just a hobby. Whereas now, you know, we're doing two and a half thousand shirts uh, a month for Leicester City Football Club. Uh, we're doing all chubby stuff. We're doing some big stuff for uh, McCain's. Uh, we just started doing some stuff for Six Silk. Um, you just very so kindly done a load of car stickers for the NHS yeah in your uh, well, I was doing, well I've been doing bugger all I thought well you know all the doctors and nurses they're all on the front line here you know they're risking their lives for people with this coronavirus thing they're putting their lives on the line so I thought there's got to be some way I can sort of you know help out if I can and uh, so we did some t-shirts uh, social distancing t-shirts we gave them away to uh, a lot of the nurses in Scarborough and that was getting a bit expensive with that because we were getting people from all over the country saying, oh, can I have a shirt, can I have a shirt? And it, was, it started to cost me a few quid postage. And so I thought, right, what can I do? So we did these NHS um, work of people, which cost us next to nothing to print. We did two and a half thousand of them. And I was uh, giving them out for Scarborough Hospital the other day. And I've got nurses and that coming to pick them up from my workshop so you know it's a little something but you know they're so appreciative of these so appreciative yes. car stickers but you know if you can if you can do what you can to help these people i think they deserve all the help they can get excellent for anyone who might hopefully be watching this uh in the future as well as in like fingers crossed say a few months from now when we're no longer in England on the lockdown and the same around the world. This was filmed on the 7th of April 2020, to put it in perspective, yeah. if, anything seems, um, if anything seems at all batshit crazy. So, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, it's so varied what you do. Do you actually get time for yourself, Ken? Because I know you're a family man. Uh, where I can, Alex, yeah, where I can, but, you know, the wife's a workaholic as well. I mean, I must admit, this lockdown thing, I'm quite enjoying to a point. 
because I'm spending a lot more time with my little girl. Um, you know, she's eight and we've been baking cakes and buns and all sorts of stuff and playing hangman and games and stuff. So it, it, it does have its sort of positive side, does this lockdown thing. It does have a positive side to it, you know, spending more time with the family. So... Now, you've delegated, haven't you? I'm saying that slightly tongue-in-cheek, but you kind of have. I noticed that um, last year you said one of the best new sketches you added to your show was one that Georgia came up with for you. Oh, yeah. Poo collecting. Yeah, the poo collector. You know, 30-odd years I've been doing this. And Georgie said, can I help you write my show, Daddy? Write your show, Daddy. So, oh, this is going to be good. Um, <laughs> sarcastically. And she said, oh, why don't you hypnotise people to put their arms around each other and sing Shotgun by George Ezra. It's not funny, George. You're not grasping comedy at all. And then she says, uh, well, you could get people to hypnotise people that they're swimming at the bottom of the sea and they come across a whale. You're not getting this. But anyway, I'll let her her carry on. Then she said, why don't you hypnotise somebody to imagine they're picking poo off the stage and keep it going throughout the whole show? Oh, there you've got something there. So basically... Um, I, I hypnotised a guy, put a white coat on him, and I, we printed poo collector on the back of it. And I got these <laughs> tiny bit, these these lumps of poo from being in bargains for like ninety nine pence each. And basically, I come on and I throw a poo on the stage. So you pick that up, mate. And ev- with every piece to pick up, they get more and more annoyed. So you're getting that person who starts off nice and calm into towards the end of the show, a complete raging mess. And then I give pick up all the poo and I put it aside. I keep chucking it down. Then I give the poo to members of the audience and say, right, when I tell you to chuck the shit on stage, and they do, and, and it it just it just works, you know, it really works. She's been writing some stuff for me this year. I've not been. She's on about doing something in a in a, in a time machine or something or other. I don't know. So yeah, yeah I'm delegating. I'm getting my eight year old to write the show. Absolutely brilliant. minds, you know. It's like you know yourself as a hypnotist when you're writing new sketches. You can write a joke and if you can test it out with your family and your friends, uh, they can turn around and say, yeah, that joke is funny or no, that joke is not. Uh, but with a hypnosis sketch, when you're starting from the bare basics, you're only playing with people's emotions. You know, you've got happiness, sadness, you've got people's opposites, um, straight and gay. And it, it's really tricky because you can get it in your mind thinking, yeah, that would be really, really funny if I did it, but you're relying on members of the public and sometimes they don't have the imagination. People don't have the imagination like they used to do years and years and years ago. I used to do a sketch years ago, the, the, the crazy inventor, where I give them, you've probably done it yourself, uh, where you give them an item and say, right, for example, I give them a whisk, one of them mm-hmm. whirly whisk, and now I've changed it to <clears throat> you're on Dragon's Den and you've got to sell this invention. So years ago, I remember. I think you did that on me in about 19. Christ almighty. I would have only been 15. We sneaked in, so 80, 85, now. About 1990 ish at the Arsenal Show Bar. Remember an egg whisk. I know there was the electric shock fire about nicking it off the person next to you, trying to, but every time you touched it, you got the electric shock. But I have a vague recollection of the inventors. Yeah, I mean, years ago, people had more of an imagination. You know, you, you, you give them that whisk, and one guy, I'll never forget, he said, I said, what is it? He said, it's a, a personalised helicopter, and he starts flying around the stage. Like, Brilliant. Now, you do the whisk, and it's like, oh, it's for whisking eggs. You're not, <laughs> you're, not, you're not fucking grasping this at all. And people, because I, I think people don't have the attention span anymore, because... You know, in the old days when you only had four or five TV channels, you had to watch what you had to watch at that time. Now you've got Netflix, Amazon, and people are flicking, flick, 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 and watch 10 minutes of something. Then watch, then the adverts come on, so you flick onto something else. You've forgotten what you were watching in the first place. And people just don't have the attention span anymore. It's really strange how it's gone. You know, The Inventor was a really, really good sketch. It worked really, really well. Now it's hard work. That's just how people have changed. So you've naturally gone on to what was one of my next bullet points to ask you, um, the, the process of putting together new material. Because I know that you're, you're very passionate about, and for viewers at home, I'm going to hold my hands up here. Ken already knows this, but you at home may not know. Uh, years ago, and by years ago, I mean we're going to 1993 here, January 1993, 
Uh, I was on a show called The Word, and during that, I did something that was essentially Ken's routine. Like, it's only a quick gag as well. I, mean, I don't mean a full, fully bloody fleshed out minutes or long. It was a quick gag, and the fact is, look, I shouldn't have done. Looking back, I did. I was young. I was stupid. You know, uh, I'm publicly saying sorry here. Um, so as part of that, you shouldn't nick material. You should at least change a bit. And the reason I say change it at the very least is because there are some things that are sold practically in the public domain. Hmm. Opposite sex, stuff that's in bloody stage hypnosis, Professor Leonardo, <laughs> which will... So, I mean, but the basics of the rubber noses is in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. say the rubber, but he says the stretchy. So there's some stuff that's as old as the hills, but yeah. then it's that tweet that you bud on it, for example, that makes it unique to you. Yeah. Exactly. Which shouldn't be nicked. How, what advice would you give to people to make it easier for them not to fall into the trap of nicking other material, i.e. to generate their own ideas. You, you look at the psychology of a sketch, basically. You look at the psychology of a sketch. There's nothing worse than people going out uh, and nicking other people's material. Uh, it, it, I just think it's it's lower than Jeanette Cranky's piss claps. I just think nicking, you know, word for word. Fair enough. If you if you see a sketch and you think, yeah, I like that sketch, right, okay, what's the psychology behind it? Right, you're turning somebody into something that is their complete opposite. Right, well, how do I make that my own? You know, the sketches that I know that I've sat down and written myself, like the drink driver sketch, like the lap dance sketch, bloody, 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 there's lots of sketches where I've sat down and I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and I've got it absolutely spot on. Then somebody comes along with a notepad and pen, writes it down and goes off and nicks it. That's not nice. You know, that, that's not good. Uh, if somebody comes up to me, so, which they have done in the past, you know, hypnotists have come up to me at the end of the show and said, Ken, I really like that sketch. Would you mind if I used it? Not a problem at all. You've got the decency to come up and ask me. Absolutely fine. You know, I was doing the when I had Stan, my dog. Um, you should at least was, sell him a DVD, Ken, at the very least. At, that, at the very least, you should be selling him a DVD at that point. He's <laughs> had a bloody DVD as well. Well, I mean... You know, when, when I did Stan, me dog Stan, who was a boxer, bless him, and I did the uh, look into, I videoed Stan, because I, I was, again, first tip now in the country to do video screens at the back, and I videoed Stan, look into Stan's eyes and you fall asleep. The first thing, first thing I did was run, run Hugh Lennon. Um, I said, look, Hugh, you do the hypno dog. I'm just doing a quick sketch on stage. Would you mind if I did? And I showed cue the footage and he turned around and said absolutely not a problem ken you know um and i just think it's decency to, to ask people you know and there's nothing worse than, than than sort of looking at a hypnotist seeing your own sketches thinking you've done that wrong that shit you shouldn't have said that you did that in the wrong way it's just to you know you see an idea i mean i 32 years i've been at the pleasure beach now and i try and write a brand new show every year that's hard work yeah, I mean, I do regurgitate stuff from time to time. I think, right, I used the drink driver's sketch last year. How can I turn that round now uh, and change it? You know, whether you're getting a parking ticket this time, just something to change. Uh, change. Because that's what makes you an individual. You know, that's what pe people come back year after year after year. Some people come back week after week to Blackpool to see the show. I can't give them the same old shite, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have gone back to basics, I must admit. I've gone back to, you'll imagine you Freddie Mercury, for God's sake, you know, because, again, in this day, these days of political correctness, oh, for the PC brigade, oh, you can't say anything without upsetting. Well, that's my next question on this list. You oh, mentioned before God, people's attention that, span has changed. And, yeah, I believe with social media and all these stimulants, that's a contributor to that. But how have... I know it has, but for the viewers at home, I want your opinion. How has things changed both in terms of the physical comedy routines that you get volunteers to do, as well as your verbal comedic reactions around those routines with all this political correctness and you can't say this, you can't do that? God. I mean, basically, the shows I do now are absolutely nothing like we were doing sort of in the early 90s, you know, where you'd have a rubber doll on stage. And, and, you know, there's a very fine line between being offensive and being outrageous. 
and you've got to know where to draw that line and and that that's 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 especially nowadays with the political correctness stuff you know you can't say anything without somebody being offended offense offense is taken it's not given you know mm. um it's killed comedy completely and you've got to be so careful because everybody's there filming the show doing this doing that and you just need to say one wrong thing and it's on youtube and it's everywhere so now you know i am but well i'm not squeaky clean my sketches are squeaky clean my mouth isn't basically mm. you know i still effing blind on stage and come out with, with various things but you know you, you can't say the, the British sense of humour was always taking the piss out of people, you know, it, whether you were short, slim, ginger, but whatever. You, you took it on the chin, you know, and and, uh, and if you went back to the days where people didn't take offence, comedy would be a lot, a lot. I mean, I watched Jimmy Carr. I like Jimmy Carr. Some of the stuff Jimmy comes out with, you're like, fucking hell, just sorry. How the hell have you got away with that? That's well out of order. Ricky Gervais, you know, one of the the... the a comedy genius, Ricky Gervais, a comedy genius. But again, some of the stuff he comes out with, you know, when you're talking about kids with cancer and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah. just crossed the line a little bit for me, that has. Uh, but I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to write him and never go and see Ricky Gervais again. It was a one-liner that he threw away. I'm not going to complain about him. Um, but you've got, you've got to be so careful nowadays. And if people learn to take the piss out of themselves like they used to do in the olden days, Life will be a lot simpler. But now, unfortunately, you've got too many of these people um, that just go around wearing paper shoes, eating their own fucking clothes and just find something to complain about. Uh, <laughs> that's my opinion anyway. What I find ironic is that, for example, the Carry On films with the good old double entendres, yeah. they're still incredibly popular and yet they'd never let them make those today. No, well... The Carry On films, I mean, oh, I mean, it's my era, the Carry On films, you know, I've spent a fortune on Carry On memorabilia. It's tongue-in-cheek, you know, it, it, it's what you make of it in your mind, and that's what comedy is all about. You can say a one-liner, and it's how you, you, you make it. I mean, with the PC stuff, you know, I, I mean, years ago when you used to come out with some of the gay stuff, you know, it's like you never, ever get the gay people complaining. Absolutely, you never get gay people complaining about the odd gag. No, no, you've got a massive fan base with the gay people. You know, I've got a huge fan base uh, of gay people because they know I'm the last person in the world that's homophobic. You know, we've got uh, at the Pleasure Beach, we've got one of the managers who's as camp as a row of tents, Michael. And when I see him, I'll give him a hug, I'll give him a cuddle, I'll give him a kiss on the cheek. But I'm not gay. Do you know what I mean? It's just I, 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 it's middle class people that complain on other people's behalves, you know, and it's it, it, it's just I don't know. It's kill comedy. You've got to be so careful what you say and what you do now, you know. Like I say, my acts, my sketches now are virtually squeaky clean. It's just my mouth that's a bit vulgar. Well, people would be disappointed if there wasn't at least that. Well, edge. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the years you know yourself, you know, years ago when you used to do the sheep shagger, you know, you wouldn't get away with that. Now, in a million years, you wouldn't get away with that. You know, you'd have somebody complaining that it was cruel to sheep. <laughs> you know, especially the vegans. Especially the vegans. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Do you, when you're writing your sketches, do you draw inspiration from? Your times as a cinema projectionist, watching the, you know, the, the and also you, I know that you look at a lot of the old films. I know you're a particular fan of Laurel and Hardy stuff. Um, good old slapstick humour, uh, its base as the, the old Laurel and Hardy and your Buster Keatons and all that kind of was. Do you draw inspiration from that when you're putting stuff together? Uh, I draw uh, facial expressions from Stan. Um, and facial expressions from Ollie when something goes wrong on stage, I'll stare at the audience as though Ollie's staring down the camera. So, not sketch-wise, because uh, there's not a lot that Stan and Ollie did that you could really convert into a hypnosis sketch, but facial expressions, looking at the audience with a gormless look on my face when something happens, absolutely. I mean, Stan and Ollie, you know, you, you can't get any funnier. They were the godfathers of comedy. And you, even if you don't like Lord and Andy, you cannot deny that they invented 
probably. They invented the double act without a shadow of a doubt. They were just heroes in my book, absolute heroes, Stan and Ollie. You know, it's uh, I've spent thousands, if not tens of thousands of pounds on Lauren Hardy memorabilia. You know, it's just a, a fascination of mine. And the new film, Stan and Ollie. Oh, God, I must have seen that 17, 18 times. And yes, I still cry at the end. Yeah. Same here. I defy anyone watching this to watch the new Stan and Ollie film, which starring Steve Coogan, and to not, at the end, at least have a tear welling up, at the very, very least, um, because it's just amazing. It was well directed. It was well produced. It was well acted. Every, there, was, there was absolutely not one thing about that film that I didn't like. Not one. There's another one as well. <coughs> the BBC. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon. And it really underrated film, but I loved it. Called Stan. Uh, okay. Yeah, just Stan. And it was really. You never got any publicity on it. I never read about it or anything. I was just flicking through. I thought, what's this? It was, a, it, was a, it was all about uh, the last days of Ollie's life. And it was really poignant. It was really well acted. It was really good. Just called Stan. Right. Well, I'll dig that one out. I've definitely have not seen that one. Yeah. Looking down at my uh, notes here. Now, you segued a few years back. Um, it's Well, I'm saying a few years back. Time disappears. It could be longer than just a few years now. But for a short while, you added mentalism uh two shows in blackpool kind of darren brown met chubby brown yes yeah how, how did that come about and what and why are you not doing it now because i've seen comments online people going oh ken bring some of the mentalism back it was bloody brilliant well yeah i mean i did it for five years i did the mentalism and i loved it i absolutely loved doing it um uh, the first two years, it was shit. I was absolutely crap. But I, I took yeah, when I did the hypnosis in the second half, people forgot the shite I'd done in the first half. But as the years progressed, it just I just got more and more comfortable with it. Um, I mean, Darren Brown, that man is is just the best. He's just phenomenal at what he does. Um, there is nobody to beat Darren Brown. He's absolutely phenomenal. And I will never, no matter how many years I do it, no matter how many years I start doing it again, there's, there's no way will I reach uh, Darren Brown's uh, talent in a million years. But I enjoyed doing it. It was a good, you know, again, I made it an adult. Uh, it was adult mentalism, you know, where you're picking out dildos and vibrators and stuff from boxes and putting them in bags and all the rest of it. Um, and we had the Malloy box. Well, I had five Malloy boxes. Uh, and it was good. I really enjoyed doing it. And a lot of people, you know, were saying, oh, when are you going to do the mentalism again? When are you going to do it? But on the other hand, a lot of people said, love the mentalism, but we prefer the hypnotism. So I was really in two minds whether to do it again, whether to bring it back or not to bring it back. I don't know. I might bring it back again. You're only scored to do two different nights, literally two different shows. I'm not a good enough mentalist to do a full night of just mentalism. So. Interesting. I suspect you're better than you think you are, because well, presentation is the key, and you've already got that. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the the presentation, yeah, yeah. Towards the end, you know, I, I got more relaxed with it. I got more comfortable with it. And again, with mentalism, it's not as bad as magic. If a magic trick goes wrong, you're bollocks. If a mentalism trick goes wrong, it's not your fault. It's mm. the powers. <laughs> yeah. Either that, or you've got a flat battery on your receiver, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> secrets <laughs> but no it's uh i enjoyed doing the mentalism you know um it was i remember what i had this uh i had a, a lady up from from thailand uh, well going back to political correctness mm-hmm. and uh there was a guy in the audience with this filipino thai girl or whatever um clearly mail order so i said oh i need a i need a a volunteer out of the audience, can you come and give me a hand? Well, yeah, you'll do here, love. And this lady came up on stage and there was a spotlight shining down on her and it was to pick a card or something like that. So I said, you're all right, love, stand yourself under. And she had a short skirt on. I said, you're all right. I said, just stand yourself under that light. We can't see your cock and bollocks. You're all right. And it was like tumbleweed. I thought, fucking hell, I've crossed the line here. 
But then a table in the left-hand side started laughing and it was like a Mexican wave and it went all the way across the theatre. And that laugh must have lasted two minutes. It absolutely ripped. But going back to PC, people look around and say, is it okay to laugh at that? Is it okay to laugh at this? You know, and it's like, she was pissing herself as well. You know, PC, she was laughing, you know. But yeah, that was a, that was actually one of James Brandon's best ad lib. James Brandon, the other half of the Grumbleweeds, um, he's been in the business forty odd years, and he, he he brought out a book, the best ad libs and the best one liners. And Armed and dangerous. Yeah, and I'm really proud to say his new book has got that quote in it, saying it was the funniest ad lib he'd ever seen, which I was really chuffed with that. Excellent. So um, I'm just there's so many different areas you've done. Um, Tell us a bit about you. A few years back, you used to start the show with. Um, I've had a mental brain fart, and I should have wrote this down. But the Saw character coming on on the Billy, Hi, yeah. Billy um, from Saw, and I know that you one of your businesses. You 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 were hiring out proper pro quality horror characters and stuff. How did that come about? I am a horror hero. Um, well, basically, it was an idea that I had, uh, again, another one of my obsessions is collecting horror memorabilia. Um, and I got the original Billy's puppet from Saw, from Saw 2. Uh, he's in the scene where he gets thrown to the ground. Um, so basically, I had Billy adapted. I had a, a remote control bicycle made, and I had Billy's mouth was able to move, and his eyes were able to move, his head was able to move. So I did pull it. He's, he's sat me down. Uh, the wife keeps saying, we're going to sell that. We're going to sell that. No, I'm not going to sell it. Um, so, yeah, so I just thought, you know, I want to do something different here. So I was opening out the show with different characters. Uh, and I bought the original Michael Myers mask from Halloween, the new Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, the Rob Zombie version. Um, I bought the original outfit from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original version with Gunnar Hansen. Um, a very low budget film, but I loved it. My Bloody Valentine, Harry Warden with a gas mask and stuff. I've got some original stuff for that. Um, I got original Freddy Krueger hat, uh, so I've got all the Freddy Krueger stuff to go with it. Who else have I got? Jason Voorhees, Michael Meyer, yeah, Jason. Um, so I've got all these different horror characters. And I thought, right, well, they're only sort of stood on mannequins in my house, so I'll, I'll rent these out at Halloween. And so um, I get some actors together and say, right, you're dressed in that, you're dressed in that, go scare the shit out of people. And <laughs> uh, we've done it at uh, Blackpool Pleasure Beach now for a few years on their Halloween stuff. And I love doing that. I love that. I'm going to Hanson Leatherface. I had a six foot chainsaw made as well, um, covered it all in blood. It's a proper chainsaw, but we stopped the teeth from going round. Yeah. And basically, we just go around, all five of us, just scaring the shit out of people. And I loved it. It was just brilliant doing that. So, But uh, there wasn't a lot of call for people hiring out the characters, to be honest. So I just keep them for myself. Scare the kids. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Trick or treat. Shit themselves when they see Leatherface stood at the door. With their hands. They don't come back. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Oh, dear, it hit me. Right, back to hypnosis. Um, what, because you still do, you still do, well, I don't know if you still do right now, but I know when I spoke to you a few years back um, up in Blackpool, you mentioned that you did, you, you, you know, you, you were helping somebody with OCD, I seem to recall it was, and that you still do the odd bit of therapy and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I still do the odd bit of therapy if it interests me. Um, smoking and, and weight loss and stuff, no. But if somebody comes up to like the lad with OCD, uh, you know, he's he's a proper paramedic now. He's fully passed his exams and he's putting his life on the line and driving ambulances and stuff now. Whereas at one point, you weren't allowed in his bedroom. He wouldn't go out. If he went out in his car, he'd drive around the block, come back and clean it three or four times. And you weren't allowed in his bedroom because everything had to be in its place and stuff. And we had five or six sessions. Now, that gives me a massive boost, that that sort of thing. You know, I, funnily enough, I was talking to his dad because his dad cuts me grass. And I was talking to his dad and I said, I was Wayne. He's, you know, he's doing really well really really well you know and that that was a real good uh, that was a real good feel factor so yeah i mean if i get people you know that really genuinely need some help and i believe that i can help them then i will do no, but people say oh can you stop me smoking <sighs> no <laughs> no 
<laughs> but buy a CD. I'm not a, I'm not a hundred percent believer hypnosis stops people smoking. I'm not a hundred percent. I've done people hypnotize people, and yes, they have stopped smoking. But I, I just think we just help them along a little bit. That's what I believe. I personally think all we do is give them a bit more confidence or belief or willpower not to start again. They put yeah. the cigarette out and stop, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the weight thing, you know, the weight loss, the, the gastric band. It was like I was in two minds. I thought, yeah, right. Well, shit, a brick. Out the the results I was getting without hitting the gastric band were ridiculous. I even surprised myself on that one. Look at the link below. There are but honestly, I'm not trying testables to on there. But I'm not trying to, you know, do a hard sell for myself. But when we had the Scarborough Weight Loss uh, Clinic, I was doing oh three or four people a day. Uh, with a hypnogastric band. I got through more levels of Candy Crush doing that than anything. Because um, you do. You just go into autopilot, don't you? you? sit there for a Candy Crush. You just go into autopilot with the first the, the first session. But um, the success I had, it, it, it was ridiculous. People were coming in saying, I've lost a stone. Pardon? I've lost a stone. Have you? Oh, right. Chuck you on these scales. Yeah, you've lost a stone. Shit a brick. It works, this. And it did. It really, really surprised me as to how successful that was. I'm going to have to do it myself, though, I think, because look at these chins. Well, that, because that, we're all locked in, there's very little to do except. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Madness. So, when you're doing things like the OCD client, things like that that are more complicated to deal with and telling somebody they don't longer want a bloody smoke or that it tastes like dog shit or whatever. What's your favourite approach? Because I know that um, Will Proudfoot, Gil Boyne's transforming therapy, as Gil called it, isn't really, in my opinion, particularly suitable for things like OCD. It is for the more basic stuff. Hypnotherapy is common sense. That's it. As a therapist, the more common sense you've got, the more success you'll have. Um, taking things right back to basics, A, B, C, X, Y, Z. I mean, when I was training with Wilf, you know, it, 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 I got into more arguments with Wilf than anybody else. I got into an argument with Alman McGill as well. Nonsense he took. Um, lovely man, but nonsense. Anyway, um, yeah, with, with, with the therapy side of it, you know, Wilf, you know, oh, well, you've done this aversion technique, right? When they smoke this cigarette, it'll taste like burning rubber. It's just bollocks, because the first thing that person will do is, oh, I'll just see if it does taste like burning rubber. Oh, no, it doesn't. How much have I just wasted on that hypnotist? Nonsense. You know, I go into, hey, I go into them being in, hosp in a hospital bed, you know, and you've just been diagnosed with lung cancer, and you've got <laughs> your children around you, you know. This is not going to cause you any adverse effects afterwards, but you will think about it. I chuck all your safety nets in there, and I've stopped more people, well, allegedly stopped more people smoking by doing it that that way scaring the shit out of people really this is what's going to happen you carry on smoking this is what's going to happen to you and this is what's going to happen to your family simple you know and i'm more like you can't do that you can't do it well why am i getting more success than you with a cigarette that tastes like burning rubber i just totally disagree with that and it was the same with the before the hypnogastric band uh where he said uh, oh you won't be eating chocolate anymore you won't be eating cakes anymore you're, you know, it just didn't to me. It just didn't compute. It's like, right, okay, you've just been diagnosed with type two diabetes. Your life has now been shortened. You know, look at what you look like wobbling down the street. Imagine what you smell like because you sweat more as a fat person. And I went right into the nitty gritty of it. Um, and again, well, oh, you can't do that. Well, yeah, you can because that's successful. You know, it's just stripping stuff back to ABC. With the OCD, uh, the first thing I did with Wayne was I said, right, where are we not allowed in our bedrooms? Nobody's allowed in the bedroom. Why not? I, said, I just don't like people in the bedroom. I said, well, if you want help, let me into your bedroom. So he did. Uh, and I went in his bedroom and wrecked it. I threw all his pencils everywhere. I threw all his bedding everywhere. I opened his curtains. And he was in a state. I said, right. I said, yeah, what's happened? What do you mean, what's happened? I said, has the house fallen in? No. Has anybody died? No. I said, so your bedroom's mess. What, how has that affected you? What, what, what's that, what, what drastic effect has that had on your life? And he went, 
done. And that was it. That was the that was the the light light was switched on his head. I said, right, Wayne, go on, we'll make your bed. We'll do it all up again. We'll do it all. We put everything right, everything back again. How do you feel now, Wayne? Oh, I said, that's better. Oh, here we go again. And wrecked it all again. (laughs) Um, I said, how do you feel now? He said, not as bad as the last time. So we were making inroads there. I think we had about five or six sessions. Uh, And what the annoying thing was, was he was in uh, a psychiatric unit, uh, tall trees or green trees or something in York. He was in there Monday to Friday and coming home Saturday, Sunday. Um, And they were giving him tablets, you know, antidepressants, which to me is just like putting wallpaper on a damp wall. It just covers the problem. But the tablet wears off, your problem's still there. That's my own opinion. Um, and cut a long story short, uh, Wayne and I had been seeing each other once a week for about six weeks. Uh, I said, look, take your meds if you want. If you feel more comfortable taking your meds, take them. If not, don't. The choice is yours. You're not going to die if you don't take them. They're not, uh, you know, they're not... Uh, Life check. They're not. They're not keeping you alive, basically. So towards the end, him, his dad, and his mum and Wayne went through for evaluation at the psychiatric hospital. And the doctors turned around and said, "We've got good news for you, Mister. Um, I'm not going to say his last name. We've got good news for you. Uh, we're allowing Wayne to to go home on a permanent basis because we believe that the tablets we've been giving him and the therapy we've been giving him here." have had a fantastic effect on Wayne, so we're now discharging him. And his dad said he hasn't taken any tablets for three weeks. Uh, he's been to see a hypnotherapist, and the doctor said, that's rubbish, that couldn't have an effect on that. It's a therapy we've been doing here in the tablets. It's like, you dickhead. Mm. You know, so, yeah, it was good, good success was that with the OCD. But, again, you know, you can do all this training that you want, but just use your common sense, you know, like... When I wrecked his room, it's like, well, nothing's going to happen, Wayne. And it didn't, you know, and that was, that's what, he then had trust in me because the second time we did it, he didn't feel as bad. So he thought, yeah, this has made a difference. This Nobody's ever done this before. People have only said, right, are you feeling a bit anxious? Colour this picture in and take some animal <laughs> picture leave. Yeah. I'm laughing because sadly it's so true and there'll be people sat at home watching this who know it's true, you bloody... <laughs> CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy cobblers, yeah. I call it mime rape, getting people to bloody unnecessarily relive stuff. At yeah, least the well, context of what you've just described had a positive, quick, noticeable difference to him. Exactly, you know, I mean, it's like, right, what we're going to do today, we're going to have a quiz today, so we'll have another six people with mental health problems, we're going to have a quiz, right, what day is Christmas Day on? Oh, and it, it, it's aversion therapy, it's like, bollocks if you ask me but there you go that's just my opinion you know you don't have to believe my opinion you don't have to take my opinion just my opinion um I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree i mean people watching i i'm sure you've come you you know develop that approach yourself but it's very similar to uh frank farrelly's provocative therapy he calls it which is mm-hmm. about proper in the face getting them to confront it like that and notice that it isn't the end of the world, so they've got some kind of proof and evidence. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think it was, was it Fritz Perl's gestalt therapy? Um, I'll never forget, <laughs> of course, Wilf, Wilf was messing about with gestalt therapy, and this woman said that she uh, she was a bit overweight and she ate a lot of cake. And I said, right, sit in that chair over there. So she had two chairs, one sat opposite each other. Right, you sit in that chair there and become the chocolate cake. and that's gonna do who any good whatsoever and then she had to have a conversation with herself as a chocolate cake so oh just tell her she's gonna get fat sweaty have diabetes type 2 diabetes she'll stop eating the cake but become the chocolate cake whoa sorry if there's any fritz pearls people fans out there and gestalt therapy fans out there but not my bad Excellent. Now, I've got to ask you, because it's on the bullet points, and I've only got like 10, 11 minutes left. Um, so we might overrun a couple of minutes, if that's okay. Straight hypnosis, the bloody ridiculous, let me get this out, craze that started in America. 
Um, no disrespect to Richard Nongard and John Saborn, none whatsoever. They're both friends of mine. I've interviewed them. You can see them on hypnosisweek.com. Uh, and things are way different in America. But they did popularize uh, hypnosis on the street as a hobby, effectively hypnotizing random strangers for own purpose of ego stroking, sticking their hands to lampposts and all this nonsense. And in America, not too much of an issue because most of the videos I've seen of people doing it there, they appear to have been told by Richard, who I know is into safety, don't stand near bloody roads where traffic's coming by and whatnot. However, in England, then, um, well, I'm going to mention name because I've done in the past, Anthony Jackwin, nothing against him as a human being personally, but in the context of teaching people not enough, so it's potentially dangerous, released a product back then that magicians got hold of and started filming themselves doing street hypnosis in England, the way it was becoming a craze in America. And you would see videos going up where people are stood on the edge of a pavement. They're not even putting their hand there to stop them in case they fall over when they say sleep. Traffic's coming by, whirling by. There's videos where people actually do fall to the ground like a sack of bloody spuds and nearly hit the red on concrete paving and all this. And I kind of became very vocal about this and contacted all the UK councils. I managed to get most of these bloody meetings. They were having like bloody meetings where they victimise one person like a pack of animals and hypnotise them or rather scare the shit out of them to be compliant. And then they pass them round like a puppy round the group. It was just wrong on every level. Aside from the fact they weren't insured, aside from the fact they were breaking the 52 Act. And I contacted you as the chairman of FESH, the Federation of Ethical Stage Hypnotists, and you kindly gave a, a letter that also went in with the stuff that went to the council districts. What did you make? Thank God it seems to have died down a hell of a lot. But it was complete and utter bloody bonkers, I think. What was your views on it? Uh, well, to be honest, Alex, I mean, you know, yeah, I didn't agree with it. You know, it was wrong what they were doing. But um, luckily, nobody came to any harm. Uh, it sort of died out now, really, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't my favourite uh, form of hypnosis. But I knew it wouldn't last long anyway. Um, they weren't causing any problems. Um, with business or anything as such they could have done if something had gone wrong but they didn't you know and it's like it was just one of those flash in the pan things i think that, that's now sort of over and you know they've had the 10 minutes 15 minutes of fame or whatever and, and i think it's all died down now to be honest i think stage hypnosis itself is, apart from the street hypnosis i think stage hypnosis itself is, is really quieting down because people have changed you know well that was the next question what do you think the future of stage hypnosis is uh, i think people nowadays are a lot more cynical than they were you know uh, when i first got into this the very early 80s um to be a hypnotist you had to know a hypnotist uh, you had to learn off a hypnotist uh, you didn't have the internet you didn't have emails you didn't have mobile phones you didn't have any of that you had to go and sit with another hypnotist and learn your trade Whereas now you can go on the internet and type in, I want to be a hypnotist. Bang, you can be a hypnotist. But again, this, this out of, I would say, if, if there was a thousand people uh, bought a thousand courses, two of them would be hypnotists. Because at the end of the day, you know yourself, you can teach somebody to be a stage hypnotist in an hour. You can't teach people to be an entertainer that's something that you're born with it's not something that you can learn you cannot learn to be an entertainer it is impossible you're born with that but anybody can be a hypnotist within an hour it depends what you do with it when you've got the knowledge and like i say not everybody's a born entertainer and some people do it some people do courses i think just to find out how it works um like you buy a magic trick to find i've spent so much money on magic tricks because i wanted to know how it, how it was done and then put it in a bin it's not work um but I just think that, you know, um, I, like I say, you, you're born an entertainer. That's something that you're born with, not something you can learn. You know, And I think times have changed now. What's the future of stage hypnosis? 
it'll still be there. It'll still be around the TV side of it. Um, I, I don't think it'll ever be on television again. Uh, not after that last load of old bollocks that was on. Um, I don't think it'll ever be on telly again. It might be on Netflix, maybe, but I don't think it'll be on your, your main channels. I'm guessing, Ken, referring to your back in the room. The game show where it I'll was... Funded... I didn't watch it. I, it was completely the flawed, the concept. Now, Keith Barry is a great mentalist. Uh, technically, he's, 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 he's a good hypnotist. I don't know, but I don't know why he took on the, the role because the concept was at the end of it, after they've done things to improvise, well, to get to the final, in the final bit, the hypnotist has told them that, you know, every time I cough, for example, you'll get an electric shock, so that'll make you drop all the balls that you've been grabbing from one bucket over there that you've got to get to the other side of the stage. But these people knew that if they get the balls from that side of the stage to the other side, everyone they get in the other bucket is worth money to them. So not surprisingly, there were very few balls getting dropped when they're supposed to be getting an electric shock, which made it look as though hypnosis doesn't work. Mm. Um, that was the fundamentally flawed bit of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't watch it, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch it because I read about it and thought, you know... I'm not I'm not listening to this. You know. Um but no, I don't think it'll be on TV again. Uh, I mean I'm lucky, you know, well, hopefully starting Blackpool in July. God knows if I am doing or not, I have absolutely no idea. Um we'll just have to wait and see, you know. And I've just realised the background, my background's terrible. I must point out I'm actually in my print shop and not in my living room. Because I've just noticed that there's like no wallpaper on that. Oh no, we, we figured you. Well, we figured that was a purposeful thing because earlier on, when you were talking about printing equipment and the cost of buying it, you move your camera around and we can see printing equipment. All oh, right, I just looked in the background. I thought I look as though I live in a hovel. But <laughs> no, no, I thought, no, I thought you you were consciously aware of that before. So we're getting right close to the end, and there's a question I ask everyone at the end. I'll come to that in a minute. But before I do, I just want to remind viewers that below this video are all the links to Ken's various different websites. Uh, if you've not seen his show or you haven't, you didn't buy a DVD when you were there, go and buy a DVD. If you want to lose weight, go and get his gastric band system. Uh, if you're a stage hypnotist and you want to get more bookings, and you can get a good and you and you work decent venues or you're gonna hire one, get it filmed properly, get in touch with Ken. If you can't do it himself, he'll 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 give the advice to the people he can supply you with to film it in a manner where they will get the right shots, because he knows what he's bloody talking about. Simple as that. So um I'm just quickly looking at my notes here. We've covered mentalism. Stage hypnosis, hypnotherapy. Yes, you mentioned much earlier on. I, I remember when you were talking about the cake, it jumped into my head. Uh, right at the beginning, you mentioned you've been doing baking and cooking with uh, your daughter while on lockdown. And um, it's cooking something you do a lot of because you actually won Come Down With Me on Channel 4 <laughs> in England, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't come down with me. It was one of those programmes that my wife and I used to watch all the time. And I said, I'd love to do that one day. And it came to Scarborough. And, uh, yeah, I did it and won it. Thoroughly enjoyed doing it. Uh, they asked me back to do a champion of champions, um, but I declined on that. It was a, it was a one-off show they did, and I think they got four of the most entertaining people that were on there. And look, I was picked to do it, which was quite an honour, really, but I turned it down. I, I didn't come down with me. I didn't want any more TV challenges. Um, but, yeah, I love cooking. Yeah, me and my little girl cook all the time. Excellent. So that brings us sadly to the final question because the time we're very nearly at the hour. And the question I ask everyone is, and um, I suppose we've got to ask this from the perspective, well, you've done therapy and you do therapy as well as stage. So from whichever perspective you want, you can answer this. What would be your sort of top three bits of advice to viewers who are early on in their careers to be the best they can possibly be at what they do, whether that's in terms of refining the techniques of what they do or in terms of marketing themselves better, which is something that you've been particularly good at over the years. Uh, three bits. Well, be yourself. Just be yourself and not anybody else. Um, do your own sketches. Uh, do oh God, it's a tricky one, this. Um, Think of your own sketches and study and learn and listen. 
watch, watch other people, read, um, do a lot. I mean, Owen McGill book, you know, even Professor Leonardis, you know, there's some little gems, there's some little nuggets of information in those books. I mean, Leonardis was 1900, wasn't it? Something like that. You yeah. Know, so, so there's some little nuggets in there. I mean, I read cover to cover Owen McGill's uh, encyclopedia. Of day, and it, it, there's just little nuggets. And just don't go out there, don't go out there thinking you're the best because you're not. There's always somebody who's better than you. Um, and just have respect. Have respect for your audience and have respect for the people that you've got on stage. And don't hypnotise anybody on stage to do something that you wouldn't do yourself or you wouldn't have your wife or your girlfriend doing. Um, it'd be outrageous, but just know where to draw the line. Uh, and don't, don't, offend people. Don't, don't offend your audience. Be on the same level as your audience. Don't think you're better than them. You're on the same level as them. Um, and like I say, don't hypnotise anybody to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself or you wouldn't have your wife or your girlfriend do. So for those people who are interested, obviously they can look at the website links below, they can get DVDs, they can get printing done with you and all those things we mentioned. When is there going to be the Ken Webster either book or the Ken Webster training course? I know you've got DVDs out that show you're doing it and if people watch down the truth be known, because you do actually book the full hypnotic induction process on those DVDs, that's how I started out. Yeah, I mean, back in 1989, I watched a VHS tape, it was back then, of a hypnosis show before I'd ever seen a hypnotist live. And NLP will call it modelling. Um, pretty much effectively copied it word for word, action for action, the induction process. And fuck me, it worked. Mm. Um, it was after the event that I started learning why it worked. Um, but when you've got so much knowledge and experience and unique insights, when are you going to, when are people going to be able to get that? When there's a demand for it, <laughs> when I've got time. To so do. if people watching this are interested in something like that coming to the market, send an email to Ken and say, please put me on your waiting list to let me know when that becomes available. And then basically, if enough people uh, are interested, it may motivate him to take some time away from the printing or one of his many other pursuits. Um, so just before we, we, we wind up, I did have one final bullet point here, and I, I can't finish without bringing this up um, because it, it touches my heart what I've seen you do on on social media. Um my grandmother, my grandma um, on my dad's side and my gran on my mum's side, we lost both of them uh, ultimately to dementia. And it's like losing them twice. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of fundraising for dementia. Yeah. Charities. Absolutely. I mean, it was my, my mother-in-law um, who died. She died in January. And she had vascular dementia, uh, and it, there's, it, it's just it's such a cruel disease because she was diagnosed uh, four years ago, and she was admitted into a care home two years ago. Um, and my wife, for the past four years, has watched her mum die. You know, she, she's dead basically, yeah. but she was still alive. So it was a. a, a virtually a four-year grieving process that my wife had to go through um, with her mum. Um, luckily, and I say luckily, she died in January, and I don't mean that in a nasty way. Um, but what gets me and what really fucks me off is you can't... If you have, if you, um, if you got cancer or heart disease, all you care is paid for. If you're a scratter on universal benefits and you've never worked a day in your life, all your care is paid for. But dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, is not seen as a health need. It's seen as a social need. So therefore, if you have dementia or Alzheimer's, you have to pay for your own care in a care home. That is disgusting. Yeah. Um, and it's about time the government changed the stance on this. There's supposed to be a green card going through um, to change this. 
But if you've got dementia or Alzheimer's, you have to pay for your own care because it's classed as a social need and not a health need. So when you're sat in a chair and you can't eat and you can't swallow and you can't talk and you can't walk, it's still a social need. It's not a health need. Wankers. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Um, so, yeah, that might seem like a, a somewhat depressing, sobering talk to end with, but it. But it isn't. It's reality, and it's to illustrate the heart of gold. This gentleman actually has that some people might not necessarily real, have realised or seen. But it is, you know, you, you can't you can't deny the facts. They're out there. Look at the links below. Ken, thank you so much for sparing the past uh, well, 65 minutes. Sorry, we overran five minutes. You're welcome. No problem. Enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, everyone, check out the links below. Contact Ken. And we'll see you on the next edition of Hypnosis Week. Bye, Cheers, Alex.